This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man Alive by G. K. Chesterton Section 5 Part 1 The Enigmas of Innocent Smith Chapter 3 The Banner of Beacon All next day at Beacon House there was a crazy sense that it was everybody's birthday. It is the fashion to talk of institutions as cold and cramping things. The truth is that when people are in exceptionally high spirits, really wild with freedom and invention, they always must, and they always do, create institutions. When men are weary, they fall into anarchy. But while they are gay and vigorous, they invariably make rules. This, which is true of all the churches and republics of history, is also true of the most trivial parlor game, or the most unsophisticated meadow romp. We are never free until some institution frees us, and the liberty cannot exist till it is declared by authority. Even the wild authority of the Harlequin Smith was still authority, because it produced everywhere a crop of crazy regulations and conditions. He filled every one with his own half-lunatic life, but it was not expressed in destruction, but rather in a dizzy and toppling construction. Each person with a hobby found it turning into an institution. Rosamond's songs seemed to coalesce into a kind of opera, Michael's jests and paragraphs into a magazine. His pipe and her mandolin seemed between them to make a sort of smoking concert. The bashful and bewildered Arthur Inglewood almost struggled against his own growing importance. He felt as if, in spite of him, his photographs were turning into a picture gallery, and his bicycle into a gymkhana. But no one had any time to criticize the impromptu estates and offices, for they followed each other in wild succession, like the topics of a rambling talker. Existence with such a man was an obstacle race made out of pleasant obstacles. Out of any homely and trivial object he could drag reels of exaggeration like a conjurer. Nothing could be more shy and impersonal than poor Arthur's photography, yet the preposterous myth was seen assisting him eagerly through sunny morning hours, and an indefensible sequence described as moral photography began to unroll about the boarding-house. It was only a version of the old photographer's joke which produces the same figure twice on one plate, making a man play chess with himself, dine with himself, and so on. But these plates were more hysterical and ambitious, as Miss Hunt forgets herself showing that lady answering her own to rapturous recognition with a most appalling stare of ignorance. Or Mr. Moon questions himself, in which Mr. Moon appeared as one driven to madness under his own legal cross-examination, which was conducted with a long finger and an air of ferocious waggery. One highly successful trilogy, representing Inglewood recognizing Inglewood, Inglewood prostrating himself before Inglewood, and Inglewood severely beating Inglewood with an umbrella. Innocent Smith wanted to have enlarged and put up in the hall like a sort of fresco with the inscription, Self-reverence, self-knowledge, self-control. These three alone will make a man a prig. 
Tennyson. Nothing again could be more prosaic and impenetrable than the domestic energies of Miss Diana Duke, but Innocent had somehow blundered on the discovery that her thrifty dressmaking went with considerable feminine care for dress, the one feminine thing that had never failed her solitary self-respect. In consequence, Smith pestered her with a theory, which he really seemed to take seriously, that ladies might combine economy with magnificence if they would draw light chalk patterns on a plain dress and then dust them off again. He set up Smith's Lightning Dressmaking Company with two screens, a cardboard placard and a box of bright soft crayons, and Miss Diana actually threw him an abandoned black overhaul or working dress on which to exercise the talents of a modiste. He promptly produced for her a garment aflame with red and gold sunflowers. She held it up an instant to her shoulders and looked like an empress. And Arthur Englewood, some hours afterward cleaning his bicycle with his usual air of being inextricably hidden in it, glanced up and his hot face grew hotter, for Diana stood laughing for one flash in the doorway, and her dark robe was rich with the green and purple of great decorative peacocks, like a secret garden in the Arabian Nights. A pang too swift to be named, pain or pleasure, went through his heart like an old-world rapier. He remembered how pretty he thought her years ago, when he was ready to fall in love with anybody. But it was like remembering a worship of some Babylonian princess in some previous existence. At his next glimpse of her, and he caught himself awaiting it, the purple and green chalk was dusted off, and she went by quickly in her working clothes. As for Mrs. Duke, none who knew that matron could conceive her as actively resisting this invasion that had turned her house upside down. But among the most exact observers it was seriously believed that she liked it, for she was one of those women who, at bottom, regarded all men as equally mad wild animals of some utterly separate species. And it is doubtful if she really saw anything more eccentric or inexplicable in Smith's chimney-pot picnics or crimson sunflowers than she had in the chemicals of Inglewood or the sardonic speeches of Moon. Courtesy, on the other hand, is a thing that anybody can understand, and Smith's manners were as courteous as they were unconventional. She said he was a real gentleman, by which she simply meant a kind-hearted man, which is a very different thing. She would sit at the head of the table with fat folded hands and a fat folded smile for hours and hours while everyone else was talking at once. At least the only other exception was Rosamond's companion, Mary Gray, whose silence was of a much more eager sort. Though she never spoke, she always looked as if she might speak any minute. Perhaps this is the very definition of a companion. Innocent Smith seemed to throw himself, as into other adventures, into the adventure of making her talk. He never succeeded, yet he was never snubbed. If he achieved anything, it was only to draw attention to this quiet figure, and to turn her by ever so little from a modesty to a mystery. But if she was a riddle, Everyone recognized that she was a fresh and unspoiled riddle, like the riddle of the sky and the woods in spring. Indeed, though she was rather older than the other two girls, 
she had an early morning ardour a fresh earnestness of youth which rosamond seemed to have lost in the mere spending of money and diana in the mere guarding of it smith looked at her again and again her eyes and her mouth were set in her face the wrong way which was really the right way she had the knack of saying everything with her face her silence was a sort of steady applause but among the hilarious experiments of that holiday which seemed more like a week's holiday than a day's one experiment towers supreme not because it was any sillier or more successful than the others but because out of this particular folly flowed all of the odd events that were to follow all the other practical jokes exploded of themselves and left vacancy all the other fictions returned upon themselves and were finished like a song but the string of solid and startling events which were to include a handsome cab a detective a pistol and a marriage license were all made primarily possible by the joke about the high court of beacon it had originated not with innocent smith but with michael moon he was in a strange glow and pressure of spirits and talked incessantly yet he had never been more sarcastic and even inhuman he used his old useless knowledge as a barrister to talk entertainingly of a tribunal that was a parody on the pompous anomalies of english law the high court of beacon he declared was a splendid example of our free and sensible constitution it had been founded by king john in defiance of the magna carta and now held absolute power over windmills wine and spirit licenses ladies travelling in turkey revision of sentences for dog stealing and parricide as well as anything whatever that happened in the town of market bosworth the whole hundred and nine seneschals of the high court of beacon met once in every four centuries but in the intervals as mr moon explained the whole powers of the institution were vested in mrs duke tossed about among the rest of the company however the high court did not retain its historical and legal seriousness but was used somewhat unscrupulously in a riot of domestic detail if somebody spilt the worcester sauce on the tablecloth he was quite sure it was a right without which the sittings and findings of the court would be invalid or if somebody wanted a window to remain shut he would suddenly remember that none but the third son of the lord of the manor of penge had the right to open it they even went to the length of making arrests and conducting criminal inquiries the proposed trial of moses gould for patriotism was rather above the heads of the company especially of the criminal but the trial of inglewood on a charge of photographic libel and his triumphant acquittal upon a plea of insanity were admitted to be in the best tradition of the court but when smith was in wild spirits he grew more and more serious not more and more flippant like michael moon this proposal of a private court of justice which moon had thrown off with the detachment of a political humorist smith really caught hold of with the eagerness of an abstract philosopher it was by far the best thing they could do he declared to claim sovereign powers even for the individual household you believe in home rule for ireland i believe in home rule for homes he cried eagerly to michael it would be better if every father could kill his son as with the old romans it would be better because nobody would be killed let's issue a declaration of independence from beacon house 
we could grow enough greens in that garden to support us and when the tax collector comes let us tell him we're self-supporting and play on him with a hose well perhaps as you say we couldn't very well have a hose as that comes from the main but we could sink a well in this chalk and a lot could be done with water jugs let this really be beacon house let's light a bonfire of independence on the roof and see the house after house answering it across the valley of the thames let us begin the league of free families away with local government a fig for local patriotism let every house be a sovereign state as this is and judge its own children by its own law as we do by the court of beacon let us cut the painter and begin to be happy together as if we were on a desert island i know that desert island said michael moon it only exists in the swiss family robinson a man feels a strange desire for some sort of vegetable milk and crash comes down some unexpected coconut from some undiscovered monkey a literary man feels inclined to pen a sonnet and once an officious porcupine rushes out of the thicket and shoots out one of his quills don't you say a word against the swiss family robinson cried innocent with great warmth it mayn't be exact science but it's dead accurate philosophy when you're really shipwrecked you do really find what you want when you're really on a desert island you never find it a desert if we were really besieged in this garden we'd find a hundred english birds and english berries that we never knew were here if we were snowed up in this room we'd be the better for reading scores of books in that bookcase that we don't even know are there we'd have talks with each other good terrible talks that we shall go to the grave without guessing we'd find materials for everything christening marriage or a funeral yes even for a coronation if we didn't decide to be a republic a coronation on swiss family lines i suppose said michael laughing oh i know you would find everything in that atmosphere if we wanted such a simple thing for instance as a coronation canopy we should walk down behind the geraniums and find the canopy tree in full bloom if we wanted such a trifle as a crown of gold why we should be digging up dandelions and we should find a gold mine under the lawn and when we wanted oil for the ceremony why i suppose a great storm would wash everything on shore and we should find there was a whale on the premises and so there is a whale on the premises for all you know asseverated smith striking the table with passion i bet you've never examined the premises i bet you've never been round at the back as i was this morning for i found the very thing you say could only grow on a tree there's an old sort of square tent up against the dustbin it's got three holes in the canvas and a pole's broken so it's not much good as a tent but as a canopy and his voice quite failed him to express its shining adequacy then he went on with controversial eagerness you see i take every challenge as you make it i believe every blessed thing you say couldn't be here has been here all the time you say you want a whale washed up for oil why there's oil in that cruet stand at your elbow and i don't believe anybody has touched it or thought of it for years and as for your gold crown we're none of us wealthy here but if we could collect enough ten shilling bits from our own pockets to string round a man's head for half an hour 
or one of Miss Hunt's golden bangles, is nearly big enough to. End of part one of chapter three.